Hi everyone, this was a bit unannounced. I just announced just minutes ago that I would uh, still go online, which normally I'm not doing uh, on Sunday evening, but I was reading quite a few articles today and I thought, why not uh, just do a podcast on my own and I don't have a guest tonight, but I see that people are listening, even though I didn't announce it and even though I just sent it out uh, a few minutes ago on Twitter So thanks very much for listening to the podcast. This is News, the Bigger Picture. It has backgrounds on the news about sustainability, nature, wildlife, uh, climate change, environment, plastics, which is an issue I want to talk about today. And I often present the show together with Alistair Doyle, but he is in Europe. And since it is here, uh, 9.30 in the evening uh, on the East Coast uh, of North America, it must be like 3.30 in the morning, so I'm quite sure that he is fast asleep and uh, I won't bother him asking uh, him to join me at this moment. But uh, this weekend I came across so many news items that I thought it was a good idea to give an update for those of you that can't wait until Thursday at 3 o'clock, which is the regular time, Eastern time, when I'm here together with Alistair normally. And there's more coming up this week in my show, the other show, The Planet, uh, which is much more closely linked to the Planet newsletter and where I normally do interviews with people. And there you can hear an interesting interview, I'm sure, on uh, Tuesday when at 11 a.m. Eastern time, I'll be joined by Vanessa Champion, and she's the editor of the Journal for Biophilic Design. And that is a fascinating field uh, to talk about. Basically, you have to think about greening cities or greening the house where you're living in, being closer to nature. And you can also join the Planet Podcast Show on Friday, which is the 11th of February. And then uh, Stephen Ramage, uh, Ramage will join us. He leads external relations at GEO, and that's the group on Earth observations in Geneva in Switzerland. Um, He works with scientists and geospatial practitioners and and policy developers uh, to address the environmental challenges that our societies are facing now and in the future. And yeah, for instance, to think about using satellite data to track where tropical forests are cut. And then you can compare it with the same satellite pictures of two weeks ago and you can see exactly what has changed uh, in the world. And you can see, for instance, illegal logging operations and then uh, take action because before you can do anything on environmental uh, protection, you need to know where the problem is. And one of the things where uh, GEO is helping out is to um, to to find those locations and um, uh, and, and inform governments. So you work closely together with the government, and it's in the UN. So that's for the agenda. I hope you will all listen and that you don't have to rely only on an iPhone for listening is something that I've said already before. For live listening since this week, you can listen on any device uh, just at the call-in website, callin.com. For asking questions, you can still only use an iPhone, but that is rapidly changing because later this month, uh, the call-in app will also be rolled out for Android phones. It also shows how new this uh, rapidly uh, growing... uh, revolution, I would say, 
in um, in in social podcasting is uh, is going. It's it's practically every week or every two weeks that we see uh, new developing uh, developments coming out. So let's move to the news of the last days, and uh, I will focus on uh, a few related areas: plastic, oceans, uh, recycling. Um, uh, maritime history uh, and and all of that keeps us uh, with the ocean theme. So to start with a very positive one, uh, Samsung is really doing its part in uh, helping to clean up the oceans. It may be a tiny bit, but if all companies would follow their example, we would get a bit further. So what's Samsung doing? They said that they have now developed a new material that they make from abandoned fishing nets you know these kind of ghost nets uh, they they are lost while fishing or sometimes even just simply cut off or thrown overboard if they're old fishing nets but they keep working as a fishing net they keep trapping fish and the fish just dies and and that's why they're called those ghost nets so those fishing nets are are horrible for um, for life in the oceans finding these abandoned fishing nets and now giving them a new purpose uh, in in using this plastic waste to make galaxy devices is, of course, a very positive development. Um, That's great news, but we are still talking about 14 million tons of plastic uh, that is thrown into the ocean every year. I remember having read somewhere some time ago that's equal, I think, to one full truckload every single minute uh, being thrown in the ocean of of plastic. Now, the oceans are very big, but they are not that big. They are, on average, a few kilometers, and our planet is is really small. And the result is that you can really everywhere now find traces of uh, plastic. Um, Adidas, uh, from, from running shoes and other sports gear, is also a very positive um, uh, example. They are planning to eliminate all uh, plastic waste and more, and they are also committing to use recycled uh, polyester in all of its problems only in two two years' time from now. So uh, Samsung and Adidas, I applaud you for taking uh, good steps um, in uh, companies that uh, that have all kinds of environmental challenges uh, to tackle and industries that have those uh, challenges to tackle. So we need good examples. Um, Input reported that the decision to use repurposed plastic material is part of the uh, ongoing effort of Samsung uh, to minimize the company's environmental footprint and uh, to make a more sustainable life cycle for Galaxy devices. And the initiative is called Galaxy for the Planet. I like the name the planet in here. And it has several sustainability goals, like incorporating recycled material in all new mobile products and eliminating all plastics in mobile packaging and achieving zero waste to the landfills. Um, So this reminds me that this... Uh, months the world hopes to see an agreement on negotiating a mandate for a plastic treaty and for those that are uh, regularly listening um, to these two podcast shows the planet and news the bigger picture will remember that about two months ago uh, when we just started one of the first guests that we had uh, was uh, Tom Gamage uh, of uh, the UK who is an activist for plastic waste, and he told us that he hoped that by February, so this month, uh, the world would see a 
mandate for negotiations between all nations on uh, a plastic treaty. And that would be a great diplomatic and therefore an environmental development. So I think I should get back in touch with uh, Tom to ask him if he can give us an update and if he knows more. By the way, I mentioned a few companies like um, uh, Samsung and, and Adidas. Uh, none of them or nobody else is paying me to mention these companies. It's just that I think that when companies are doing something good, uh, that uh, they should be mentioned here. So related to all this, um, in uh, the, uh, the Australian version of The Guardian, wrote about microplastics in uh, the oceans. And microplastics are not always thrown into the ocean as microplastics, that's possible, but it's also bigger pieces of plastic that are deteriorating and end up as microplastics. And that is any type of plastic less than five millimeters in length. Uh, so they are still visible. It's not like, like the, because it's micro that you can only see it under a microscope. Um, and these are virtually everywhere. You find them on uh, at the bottom of the Mariana Trench, uh, the, the, the deepest point in, in the ocean. And you find them in, in the snow of the Himalayas. You find them in the air that we, we breathe. Um, Tom, who I recently interviewed and really knows a lot about this, he, he mentioned how many pieces of plastic there are in an average room, let's say the room that you are sitting in uh, right now while you are listening, you are breathing little pieces of plastic. Um, it's in the water that we drink, it's in the food that we eat. So um, in, in, uh, on average, uh, you, you eat about a credit card worth of plastic during a week or eat, you you ingest it uh, by eating or drinking or by breathing it in. Uh, imagine that uh, an average credit card in your pocket, that is what ends up in your body. And uh, the, uh, or one other indication how big the problem is, there's more microplastics on the seabed floor uh, then they're floating on the ocean surface. Well, how much is floating on the ocean surface? You've, you've, you've seen that in all kinds of documentaries. But that is a smaller part of how much there are actually on the seabed. And I remember from, from reading somewhere else that it's about 70% of the plastic that is uh, sinking to the bottom of the ocean. So those people claiming that they can clean up within a few years all the plastic of the ocean... Uh, should be much more detailed in what they are talking about. They're talking about the visible plastics that we can see on the ocean. And it's still, of course, a wonderful exercise uh, to clean all that up. Now, the, the presence of microplastics in uh, all kinds of, of water environments uh, doesn't automatically lead to harm the wildlife. It's, there's a lot of research is taking place but there are all kinds of indications, and, and in the years to come we will know much more about it, but there are all kinds of indications that show that microplastics have all kinds of negative impacts. So um, you have to think, for instance, about reproduction, or it can in affect uh, the life cycle um, of, of organisms. And uh, you see, for instance, that um, these uh, microplastics accumulates in animals further up 
in the in the food chain. So you find, for instance, microplastics in plankton, but they are at the bottom of the food chain. But all kinds of bigger fish or even whales that eat the plankton, they are ingesting all that, that plastic. And it is not just the plastic itself, of which we don't really know, or the experts don't really know yet in what kind of ways it is influencing life, but they're getting more information all the time. It is also that these little microplastics, they function as a kind of magnet that uh, attracts um, all kinds of, of, of other chemicals that attach to the plastic. So if an animal consumes these plastics, uh, they are getting the plastic plus uh, all kinds of contamination that is um, uh, uh, attached uh, to the plastics. Um, scientists are also looking at how plastic pollution is related to uh, global heating, how the two of them are kind of double whammy on, on environmental damage. So you see, for instance, that fish are growing slower when they are exposed to both um, uh, a, uh, a, a chemical related to plastic uh, and also higher temperatures. So it's, it, it slows growth of fishes, uh, which is, of course, will, will have impact on, on the whole food chain as well. Now, the question is, of course, for those that will listen uh, later to this podcast, uh, what the effect will be of those microplastics on our health? Will it, will it impact us? And you, uh, you, we don't know much about it yet, but there's, a, there's, there's like three or four things um, that, that we, we have to look at. So uh, in lab conditions, they can see that microplastics can damage human cells, uh, which is something you can look at. You cannot just take uh, some people and ask them to swallow a lot of plastic and what happens, um, but you can see under, under a microscope uh, what, is, what is happening in lab conditions. Now, you can also uh, test on animals. That is a whole different field to talk about how we think about testing on animal, animals, but this has been tested on mice, and they found that the animals that ingested microplastics did uh, not show any accumulation in internal organs, which is uh, positive, but when they were exposed to a virus that resulted in arthritis, they found that mice that had eaten microplastics had uh, inflammations in the joints, so, so arthritis, for a much longer period. So somehow it seems that there are indications that microplastics um, activated immune cells and that somehow resulted in inflammation. So there are... Uh, likely all kinds of negative effects once uh, scientists dive deeper into this. And then there's a completely different study uh, that also found that uh, people that suffer, for instance, from Crohn's disease or other bowel diseases, um, that uh, happens significantly more when uh, it turns out that people have more plastic in their body than people that don't have it. So... Uh, there, there is likely a correlation there as well. So there's all kinds, if you add all these things up, um, there's a lot that needs to be researched, but there's a lot of inf in, uh, information that uh, something is going wrong here. Um, so 
your next question is probably what can you do? Well, the main thing that we can all do is to uh, prevent that more plastic is coming in the ocean and is coming in our our food chain. So that means um, vote for parties that take environmental issues seriously or campaign for this. Join campaigns that are that are active on this uh, plastic issue. Um, or um, uh, think about your own consumption behavior. Uh, don't uh, drink water from plastic bottles uh, for two reasons. In plastic bottles, you will find water that has a higher uh, grade of uh, microplastics in it than you find in tap water. And also the plastic bottle, at a certain moment, you throw it away and you don't really know what happens to that plastic. So there's more plastic that has been produced. It doesn't mean you should never buy one, but try to have one that you can reuse many times and it's even much better not to buy them at all and and just to have a recycling bottle that you can use. Um, Talking about oceans, I have one other issue that I wanted to mention, uh, which is not at all a negative story about plastic. But sometimes I talk about history and I love maritime history. And it was only a few days ago that uh, one of my big adventure heroes of whom I've read an enormous amount of books, um, Shackleton, uh, has died. That was on the 30th of January in 1922. So that is now exactly, what is it, one year and one week ago. And... Uh, that uh, uh, that is celebrated or commemorated, I guess is the better word in, in English, um, with, uh, for instance, an exhibition in, um, in the Royal Geographic Society in London. Um, so uh, Shackleton is from all... Uh, all the all the brave men, all the heroes of Arctic and Antarctic exploration, uh, one of one of the most uh, famous men of all. Um, he is uh, for Shackleton. You always have to look south to the Antarctic. I don't believe he has done much in the Arctic, which is actually not true. He has, after his famous second expedition in the second half of the First World War, he did go uh, to the Arctic. Um, but uh, that is that is not uh, at all what he is uh, remembered for. He is mostly remembered uh, for his second voyage, the one where he got stuck in the ice, but before that he was also uh, trying to be the first man to reach the South Pole. And um, before that, actually, he walked with Scott uh, to the South Pole, and uh, but he, he got much further on his Earth, on his on the first Shackleton expedition. So uh, uh, this man is now um, uh, uh, commemorated with uh, a, a uh, exhibition in the Royal Geographical Society. For those of you that start traveling again, now that the pandemic seems to be over its worst phase, uh, knock on wood for that, uh, and you are traveling to London, uh, make a visit to the Royal Geographical Society. It's just south of, um, of, of Hyde Park, uh, near Imperial College. Uh, and it's it's a wonderful place to visit uh, for many reasons. So this is uh, one uh, to go to. The, you can see there, for instance, the remastered version of South, a documentary film, 
um, one of the first ever made actually of uh, the famous endurance uh, expedition and uh, that one will be screened at the British Film Institute in London um, uh, this is also a celebration of the work of Frank Hurley a extremely talented photographer who under very difficult circumstances and with uh, very primitive um, uh, uh, um, uh, photo uh, cameras uh, managed to make amazing pictures that I guess all of you will have seen even though not all of you will remember the name of Frank Hurley but he sailed with Shackleton um, uh, he is just one of the best uh, photographers that I know of the 20th century it's amazing what he managed to do under those circumstances um, so it's amazing uh, camera work uh, that you can see for instance you might remember his famous picture of the ship the endurance uh, being stuck in the ice and um, so Shackleton himself let's let's go to him for a moment he was he first visited the South Pole uh, in the discovery expedition led by Robert Scott and I don't think they were um, always uh, the best of friends uh, Scott was not very happy that in that trip uh, Shackleton was uh, the man the man who uh, was uh, most affected by, by scorbut not having a much vitamin C uh, which is logical because he was the biggest guy and only much later people find out that if you are bigger uh, you are earlier prone uh, to get um, a scorbut when you don't have enough vitamin C but then later he returned with his own expedition uh, on the Nimrod and then he tried to be the first man uh, to reach to really reach the, the, the South Pole and he took a really brave decision when he was really really close just about 100 miles away from the South Pole he decided to turn back and later he was proved that he was right because they only just made it uh, back they just survived if they would have walked another 100 miles and then 100 miles back to that point and then would have returned they would never have made it and so he um, uh, that, that 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 was that, that was amazing so they they uh, they managed to to get back with their very last energy um, uh, to their base camp they had to, to cross uh, the, the Beardmore Glacier uh, uh, kilometers high uh, climbing in, in the Antarctic under horrible conditions um, so uh, he, um, he, he there gave the famous quote uh, uh, it's um, uh, our food lies ahead and death talks us from behind and that motivated them to to keep on uh, keep on going so um, two years later uh, two expeditions reached the pole the famous race between uh, the Noor Amundsen and uh, again Robert Scott uh, and uh, it both parties never said it was a race but everybody in the whole world uh, including both teams uh, knew that it was in fact a race but they denied that it was a race um, Scott arrived uh, too late and uh, and Scott and and his team uh, they perished on their way back to, to, to base camp then Shackleton was at that moment uh, when he learned the news about Emerson being the first one on the South Pole he was then thinking of 
of what he could do to set a new kind of record in the Antarctic. And the idea was then to completely cross the Antarctic. And so that that was a very, very ambitious plan. And uh, he would traverse the complete continent. And um, he he got the money, just just enough. And uh, he, he uh, sailed uh, to, uh, to, South, um, uh, to, to the South Pole, to, to Antarctica, just in August 1914. So the, the, the Great War was just starting those days. He waited, he asked for uh, permission from the king if he could really go. And uh, he was advised, yes, go. Everybody still thought that this was a short war, that the men would be back before harvest. So uh, he sailed. They reached in, in January uh, 1915, uh, they uh, they reached the Weddell Sea, and what then happened is that they never actually set foot on uh, Antarctica. They were stuck in the ice, stayed for a long, long time on the ship while the ship was pushed forward uh, by the ice, and uh, they they waited and waited, and uh, that is also the, the period when Hurley made uh, some of his most famous uh, photographs that you can now see in London. And what ultimately happened was that the ship was completely crushed by the ice. So they were they were stuck on the on the ice, uh, and the man had three small um, small boats, and they carried the boats over the ice, which was an impossible exercise. They didn't get far, but they also waited a lot, and ultimately they got to an area and a season where the ice broke up. And then the those men, they were still all alive. They uh, they stepped in those three boats. They managed to stay together um, under horrible conditions, and they sailed all the way to Elephant Island, uh, which is, if you imagine the map of uh, South America, you have this uh, of um, of Antarctica. You have this peninsula that sticks out uh, on 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 a globe. You see it uh, below South America, and uh, there they were marooned on this horrible little island where um, uh, there was a very small beach and behind them huge cliffs and a huge chunk of ice were falling upon them. They turned over the boats and they they, uh, survived for a while under those boats, living on penguins that they could find. And then after um, uh, not too long, Shackleton, uh, together with uh, uh, Worsley and Frank Wilde and and three other men, uh, they stepped in one of those boats um, and uh, uh, the James Caird, and they sailed 800 miles all the way through the the, the worst ocean in the world to sail uh, to South Georgia. And then they arrived in South Georgia on the south side. They were not capable of sailing to the north side where there was a whaling station uh, that they hoped would be manned. Um, so they were they were kind of marooned on the south side of South Georgia, and the only thing that they could do was to traverse South Georgia, not being equipped for mountaineering. Uh, south Georgia, you have to imagine something like uh, a, a mountain range like the Alps, 
uh, that is just sunk in in the south um, uh, South Atlantic Ocean. Um, it's extremely cold and bitter, and they uh, they managed to find their way over those mountains without maps, without equipment, and with three men they managed to reach uh, the the whaling base uh, where uh, where they found a Norwegian team uh, that was hunting there for seals. Then. At that moment, they sailed back uh, the next day uh, with a, a team to the other side of the island to pick up the other three men that were stuck there. And then uh, a period started where Shackleton, for months and months, was trying at all kinds of different governments in, in Argentine and Chile uh, to get a boat to go back to pick up those men at Elephant Island. And that took him many, many months. And finally, uh, he managed to get a ship uh, that, uh, that that brought him there. He had been there a few times, but then was stopped by the ice. But this time, the ice floes opened. He, he could get through. He could man, get the man out. And every single man on this trip had survived. Not all the men on the other end of the Antarctic, um, where uh, they, uh, they had put provisions uh, in the ice, so that once he had crossed uh, the continent, what was the original plan that he would find food? Uh, there a few men died. Shackleton doesn't talk too much about them because he always wants to claim that on under his command nobody died. And the question is, of course, was he also in command for those men? I don't think you can really blame him for what happened on the other side of the of of the continent. Uh, but some people believe different than that. Okay, so I didn't speak from any kind of script here. I was, I was for all this talk about Shackleton um, is just uh, reading about it through my life. Next time I will prepare better so I can make it a more fluent story and have better data for you. But I hope that some of you that are listening to this uh, on a podcast uh, still enjoy uh, listening here. I see somebody clapping. I don't see anybody hearing, but since I see some clapping, I know that somebody must be listening. I can't see it on my device. Um, so for those of you who join live, thank you so much um, for uh, for joining. Just um, uh, for the agenda for next week uh, for my podcast, but also look around on call in because every week new people start podcasts and there's there's a lot of uh, interesting podcast coming up. Sometime I will, uh, at some moment, I will reserve some time in the next weeks to tell you a bit about other podcasts that I believe you should also listen to. But of course, I hope that you will listen to my podcast. Um, so uh, for uh, uh, for this week, uh, I think the, the ones that uh, would be nice to uh, put in your agenda to listen to if you find time uh, the first one is on Tuesday uh, with Vanessa Champion on uh, biophilic design. So that is uh, on uh, at 11 uh, Eastern time, 11 a.m. Uh, Eastern time. So that is New York. So that uh, um, that means that uh, for those that are listening in Europe, uh, it is already uh, five in the afternoon. If you're in the UK, it is four uh, in the afternoon when we start. Um, then on Thursday, on practically every Thursday, well, each Thursday in the past six weeks or so, um, at three o'clock uh, Eastern time, 
uh, I always chat with uh, Alastair Doyle about anything that happened in the news in the past week. Um, that's a tradition that we will continue next week again. And also mark in your calendar um, on Friday the 11th of February uh, when Stephen Ramage uh, will join us. And he's the guy that I spoke about in the uh, opening who knows all about uh, how to use Earth observation uh, for all kinds of environmental processes and environmental policy making. And that is really interesting to listen to as well. So I hope uh, that you will join there as well. Uh, keep following call in. If you are listening right now on, um, on the website, uh, if you have an iPhone, uh, download the app. The app is just much more easier to, to use than the website I found. Uh, and uh, if you are on an Android device, uh, be patient because uh, somewhere in the next few weeks um, uh, that app uh, will also uh, come out. And if you're on the app, uh, uh, scroll around a bit, use the search button, uh, see what else is coming up um, because I see all kinds of interesting shows taking place. Thanks so much for listening. I hope that you will uh, you will soon join again. This one was very spontaneous. It's for me a bit of a tryout just to take the microphone and start talking about everything that I've read about. Um, so I hope that you enjoyed it. Um, um, if you have any advice, if you have any ideas on people that I should invite in one of these two shows, if you have suggestions for themes that you would like to, to have covered, uh, you can uh, write to me either a direct mail on uh, on Twitter or uh, on Instagram or what actually works really well is just use the messaging system on call-in which I see that more and more people are starting to use and I'm using it as well to, to stay in touch with people. Okay, thanks so much. I hope to, uh, to see you all on Tuesday. Until then, bye-bye.